Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm Jason Schulman. We've got a great show for you today. My guest is Mel Skult, who's Professor Emeritus at Brooklyn College, here to talk about his new book, The Radical American Judaism of Mordecai M. Kaplan, published in 2013 and then in paperback in 2015 by Indiana University Press. Mel, welcome to New Books in Jewish Studies. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. So, Mel, Mordecai Kaplan is multidimensional, you say. I want to start with the adjective radical in the title. What are some of the ways in which Kaplan was a radical? Well, there were many ways in which he was radical. He uh, presented Judaism as a civilization, a culture with a literature and music and so on and so forth. And now that sounds rather banal. But the point is that calling Judaism a civilization means that we created it, that it's not God-given. In other words, that it evolves according to our needs, it reflects us and our character, our national personality. So what he was doing really was giving a new way to look at Judaism. Um, He was also radical in terms of his God concept because he rejected the traditional notion of God who is um, a super self or a supreme being, a God who commands and gives laws and punishes the wrongdoers. And uh, that was very radical for many people who didn't understand it. There's still a lot of people who don't understand it. Um, The other thing, the last thing, he was what one might call, what I call, a pragmatic believer. In other words, uh, what he does with reference to all the different elements in Judaism is he looks at it, uh, uh, does it work for you? I mean, that's his pragmatic attitude. And if it doesn't work, we need to reconstruct it or reinterpret it. And if we can't reconstruct it or reinterpret it, then we have to discard it. And that's uh, quite a radical uh, attitude. He discarded the chosen people concept rather early in his life. And so um, uh, that uh, alienated him from a lot of people. Does his pragmatism come from sort of pragmatist philosophy and John Dewey and that group? Yes, the pragmatism comes from uh, uh, William James. Um, He, uh, Kaplan, uh, studied uh, uh, graduate school. He went to graduate school at Columbia and became acquainted with the uh, uh, general uh, intellectual um, atmosphere of his time. Um, he uh, comes from a Haredi uh, background, from a, an ultra-religious background. His father was a rabbi. And so in confronting these thinkers um, of the modern period and of the early 20th century, um, it, it caused him a great many problems and a great many conflicts. As a matter of fact, the, the, the perhaps the most important person in terms of his being alienated and problematical was Nietzsche, because everybody at the turn of the century was reading Nietzsche, and uh, uh, in, in terms of Nietzsche's philosophy, God is dead, 
and only the individual will is important, not traditional values. And Kaplan needed to find um, substitutes. And so uh, there were a number of substitutes that he he um, finds. The first and most important, I think, is a Ahad Ha'am. Ahad Ha'am, of course, is a cultural Zionist who um, writes in a beautifully elegant Hebrew style. And so he draws in many uh, traditional young um, uh, alienated um, religious Jews. He believed, of course, in rescue, um, that the Jews must have a land, but he thought that the transformation of the Jewish people was a necessary prerequisite for their redemption in order to be modern and Jewish at the same time. Chavaam was secular, um, and he substituted the national will, or the, one might call it the national soul, for God. And he substituted ethics for the traditional Jewish law. And he had little use for the synagogue. So Kaplan, of course, is not a, um, a slavish follower of Chavaam, because for Kaplan, the synagogue was um, central. But Kaplan was a lifelong Zionist and devoted to the reality of the Jewish people as an international people with centers in Israel and the United States. The notion of peoplehood was central to Kaplan, not in a racial sense. And that's very, very important because there's some people who think that is the case. But in the sense of devotion and loyalty to the ideals of justice um, that come out of the Jewish tradition. And it's that devotion to the ideals that uh, uh, give um, uh, the Jewish people its particular um, uh, culture. Uh, so, now, so, so, Mel, let, yeah, let me ask you. Yeah. So we've ta- you've talked about peoplehood, Zionism, uh, you know, tradition of justice. You admit, you know, you're hesitant to say, but at the end of the book, you do say Kaplan was a heretic. Um, you know, in what ways was that ultimately an appropriate label? Well, Kaplan was a heretic, I think, mostly uh, in his willingness to uh, discard, uh, as I said, and uh, in his uh, uh, belief in God, which was a dismissal of um, the uh, supernatural uh, supernaturalism, uh, and he was the first really devoted Jew. I mean, there were people who dismissed Kaplan, who dismissed uh, supernaturalism, but he was the first devoted Jew who wanted to create um, a, a Jewish way of life uh, in a naturalistic mode. And in that sense, he he is uh, heretical. He uh, um, I wrote in my book about uh, Kaplan and Spinoza. Uh, he 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 liked Spinoza because of Spinoza's naturalism, because of Spinoza's criticism of the Bible, um, although he was not a slavish follower of Spinoza, uh, because in Spinoza's system, ultimately the Jewish people would have disappeared, uh, but that's not the case with uh, Kaplan, of course. Uh, there, I mean, the other parallel with Spinoza is the excommunication. Can you tell us a bit about, you know, his background and the shock? I mean, it really was a shock, right, when he's excommunicated by, excommunicated by the Orthodox in New York? 
Well, yes. I mean, he is the only rabbi uh, to be excommunicated in the American Jewish community. Excommunication was a um, uh, a way in which the Jewish community dealt with dissenters, with uh, uh, heretics traditionally. But in the United States, one finds that well, we don't find it at all. And uh, uh, what happened is that Kaplan... Um, created a, a new Haggadah in 1941, uh, which alienated a great many people uh, because there were no, virtually no alternative Haggadahs at the time. Now, uh, there, there, there's a, a, a plenitude of Haggadahs, but at that time, there were none. And Kaplan's Haggadah uh, leaves out the, the plagues. Um, it, it, it changes the language of the Haggadah, the chosen people, um, a formula is left out of the Kiddush, and most importantly, when you open the door for Elijah, um, there is a formula which you say, which means uh, you, you ask God to pour his wrath out among the nations. It's sometimes called the hate formula, and Kaplan left that out. Now, the point is that um, uh, that Haggadah alienated the ultra-Orthodox, along with Kaplan's philosophy in general, which they knew about, and that simmered during the war. In 1945, Kaplan, uh, together with his colleagues, uh, Ira Eisenstein, who um, is his son-in-law, and Eugene Cohen, uh, published a, um, uh, a Sidur, a, a prayer book. And the Sidur that Kaplan published changes uh, the language of chosenness. It also um, uh, changes the language having to do with uh, the resurrection of the dead. But uh, I would maintain that it was primarily the Haggadah that alienated them, even though the um, uh, occasion of the excommunication was um, the Sidur. The Sidur came out in April of 1945, and in in June, uh, uh, June 15th, 1945, a group of ultra-Orthodox Jews of, uh, gathered in the McAlpin Hotel uh, opposite Macy's. I mean, it's a really bizarre kind of experience, and they uh, issued a, a cherem, an excommunication against uh, uh, Kaplan. And they, act, as a matter of fact, burned his uh, uh, sidur. Uh, they burned it, although um, there's some dispute as to whether that was planned or whether it was um, uh, just a, 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 an unpredictable kind of thing. But the point mm -hmm. is that uh, in, in actuality, though it became well known, uh, it didn't really affect Kaplan. I mean, he was he was saddened, you know. Uh, it, it meant a kind of intolerance, um, uh, which really bothered him because he was a pluralist. Uh, more than anything else, and, and it bothered him, but it didn't really uh, influence his life um, all that all that much. Um, well, let me ask you this: What do most people what do people get most wrong about Kaplan? Well, I, that's a very very interesting question, <laughs> very interesting question, because when people talk about Kaplan, they mention Judaism as a civilization. Um, uh, and 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 they mention him as someone who is tied to the ethnicity of the Jews, and there there are two things wrong with that. The first 
only that Judaism is about ideals, and it's not about blood, and it's not about uh, uh, ethnicity in a tribalistic sense, but it's about the the loyalty and devotion to the ideals. The second uh, thing that's wrong is that people don't understand that Kaplan was as much concerned with the individual as he was concerned uh, with the group. Um, the um, uh, In his system, there is a concept, uh, which is the concept of salvation, uh, which is central, and that's as important as the concept of civilization. Now, salvation is a little bit uncomfortable for Jewish people. It's not a frequent word. Um, uh, I have found in my uh, uh, research that Kaplan proposed the word shleimut. The word shleimut is related to the word shalom. So there, the ideal of peace for the group and shleimut refers to uh, the individual and it means com- completeness, uh, perfectibility, and wholeness. And the, the wholeness of the individual is a fundamental aspect of Kaplan's understanding of Judaism. And what that, where that comes from in, in, in terms of influence is um, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Uh, Kaplan, uh, like so many children of the immigrants at the turn of the century, was reading Emerson. If you will remember, it was a hundred years since the birth of Emerson, and uh, so Emerson was very, very much on people's minds, and the children of the immigrants wanted more than anything else to be American. And at the turn of the century, to be American meant to read uh, Emerson and, and Thoreau. Now, Emerson sings the infinitude of the individual. Uh, and his concept of God, of the oversoul, is found within the individual. So um, the individual, uh, uh, the notion of self-reliance, uh, the notion of the independence of the individual and standing back um, from the community uh, and being your own person, that was central to the philosophy of Emerson. Now, what led me to consider Emerson was a poem I found in Kaplan's diary in the 1940s. Kaplan was working on his prayer book, which came out in 1945, and what he did is he took the 1838 um, uh, address uh, to the Divinity School, the Harvard Divinity School. It's an essay by Emerson, and Kaplan took that address and he turned it into an into a prayer, into a poem. Uh, this Kaplan doesn't, I mean, I must admit, the Kaplan doesn't write all that well. Uh, Charles Silberman, Zichrono Livracha, said that you could never quote a complete Kaplan sentence because, <laughs> because they're always subordinate clauses. But he did manage to take Emerson's language and use it to, to create a poem which he intended to put into the prayer book. Uh, now, he, he, he didn't end up putting it in the prayer book, but the point is that he intended to put it in the prayer book. And that emphasis on the individual, um, which comes from Everson, is central to Kaplan's um, 
uh, notion of what Judaism is about. Um, he, I mentioned his diary a number of times. I'd like to say a word about that. Uh, when I met Kaplan in 1972 at Camp when I interviewed him for three days, and I found out about his diary. And then he came back to New York, and I came up to his house. And there in his study, he opened up this closet. And there from floor to ceiling were these large accountant-type volumes, which was his diary. The diary is 27 volumes long. And what I realized, I mean, Kaplan was an interesting person, but you have to have documents. And what I realized is that I had hit the mother load because um, uh, this diary was not generally known by anybody. And Kaplan allowed me to make a copy of the microfilm of the diary. The, the whole diary now is at the Jewish Theological Seminary, and it is online and accessible through their um, a website, and I have used the diary very extensively, and I published a volume of selections from the diary. That volume is called Communings of the Spirit, and uh, the first uh, volume that I published uh, runs from 1913 to 1934, and there's a second volume that's coming out in the fall which runs from 1934 to 1941, and it is being published by Wayne State University Press. And so the, um, the diary is, um, has been, um, for all my um, research, a major source of, of, of uh, material inspiration for me, uh, because Kaplan is much more radical in the diary than he is in his uh, uh, published works. Uh, he says at one point uh, that that he writes in the diary what he feels is is too um, uh, radical for his uh, rabbinical students at the Jewish Theological Seminary, and uh, what he feels is too complicated for his um, uh, congregants at the Society for the Advancement of Judaism. So, so it, it, either it's too radical or too complicated. And he is a much more sophisticated person uh, than people generally uh, understand. Um, what's happened, uh, very unfortunately, is um, that uh, uh, Kaplan has been reduced to a number of, of, of slogans, as it were, um, uh, uh, Judaism as a civilization, living in two civilizations, and so on and so forth. And they don't understand the uh, the complexity of his thought as revealed in the diary. I'd like to read the just very briefly the first entry in the diary. He was um, it was 1913, and he was going around and talking at the Hillel groups. Or, or really menorah societies, as they were called at that time, uh, at different colleges. And he went to Harvard, and he gave a speech. And he gives us the essence of that speech uh, in the diary. And it says the following, Religion is primarily a social phenomenon. To grasp its reality and to observe its workings and to further its growth, we must study its function in some social group. Now, that's quintessential Kaplan, because Kaplan, as well as being a pragmatist, is also a sociological thinker. 
he studied sociology in college. He read Durkheim, and he, he always thinks in terms of the group. But then the next line is the clincher, and for me, is um, uh, ultimately very, very important. Because after that, he says the following. The individual and his development or perfection may constitute the sole aim of religion, but the fact and substance of religion cannot exist completely and exhaustively in an individual. So, in other words, what Kaplan is saying is that the fulfillment, the perfectibility, the wholeness of the individual is the ideal. And what draws me to Kaplan is that's what I'm interested in for myself. I want to be a a more complete person. I want to be more ethical. I want to be uh, uh, want my abilities as a scholar to be better than they are. And I think that's what we all want. And Kaplan is saying that that is the ideal of religion, and one finds it within community. In other words, you can't be a whole person and be ethical by yourself. <laughs> and it's, right. it's it's religion, and in our case, Judaism, and the sancta, that's Kaplan's word, which refers to Jewish ritual, which should help us to be more complete and more whole. Let me give you an example. Um, Mel, let, 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 yeah. me, let, me, let me ask you a question. Sure. Um, if someone is interested in starting to read Kaplan, where would you suggest they start? Well, uh, <laughs> one, he published a book called uh, The Meaning of God in Modern Jewish Religion. Um, and what that is, is it's organized according to the holidays. But in actuality, it is a presentation of his um, uh, the theological system in connection with each of the holidays. And so he presents the Sabbath as, um, uh, you know, the, the, it should encourage us in our desire to be creative, in our desire to grow. Um, uh, he, he, he presents Passover, which I was just reading, as a matter of fact, because we've just, um, uh, this is April, 2016, and we just celebrated Passover. And what he says about Passover is really absolutely fascinating to me because he talks about um, uh, God as uh, identified um, with uh, 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 freeing uh, the slaves, with uh, freeing people from oppression. Uh, and at the same time, he identifies um, the, the, the holiday with the liberation of the individual. And he says that what we celebrate is our right to be different. Now that is so uh, much of this moment because each one of us uh, in our individuality, we want a, a, a life of our own. We want uh, to be our own person. And uh, what Kaplan is saying is Kaplan is a pluralist, really down to his toes. He's, he, he is accepting of different ways of being religious and different ways of being uh, Jewish. And so the right to be different is what we're talking about at the Seder. <laughs> I mean, that's the point, is that the mitzvot, or the sancta, as he says, are 
um, the vehicles for our shleimut, for our fulfillment. That word, by the way, which I mentioned before, um, is a very, very good uh, Hebrew philosophical term. It goes back to Maimonides, um, who talked about the mitzvot have two sources, two purposes, either shleimut haguf or shleimut hanefesh, either the the, the completeness and wholeness of the body or the wholeness of the soul. And uh, uh, so Kaplan is in that tradition. Now, there are many ways in which Kaplan is different than Maimonides, of course. But the point is that he is um, uh, in that um, uh, line by using the term, uh, by using the term Shlemut. Mel, we're running short on time, so I want to ask you, um, you know, some people may be surprised, I'm not because I've read the book, but some people may be surprised that we haven't talked about Reconstructionist Judaism. Uh, That denomination is not a central uh, idea in the book because the book is about a larger ideology, but tell us about about founding that branch uh, of Judaism with his son-in-law, Eisenstein, he mentioned. Well, yes, um, uh, the point is that, that Kaplan... Uh, very, very early on, thought of uh, establishing a a denomination. Um, um, but uh, and as a matter of fact, he was at the seminary, the Jewish Theological Seminary, and then he left the seminary for a while and went to the Jewish Institute of Religion. And um, uh, but he, he he didn't stay there. He went back to the seminary, and it was his. Um, relationship with the seminary, uh, which is responsible for the fact that the movement, the domination of Reconstructionism didn't get started until so late, because you can't have a denomination unless you have an independent rabbinical school. And Kaplan was not willing, for all kinds of reasons, it's very complicated, and I explained that in my biography of Kaplan, um, which I wrote a, a number of years ago, uh, which is called Judaism Faces the 20th Century, a biography of Mordechai Kaplan, which explains the nature of his relationship uh, to the seminary. So when he retired, he presented uh, uh, his philosophy as a school of thought. In other words, it would be not denominational, but any person, in whether they were religious or not, whether they were observant or not, could embrace his philosophy. He believed that very, very strongly, and there was a um, uh, some of his colleagues uh, who thought they couldn't embrace Reconstructionism uh, and his philosophy because they were uh, observant so observant, but he uh, uh, accepted them and believed that they could. So when he left um, the uh, seminary and retired in 1963, then uh, uh, Ira Eisenstein and uh, uh, the colleagues and so on and so forth established the uh, Reconstructionist College in 1968. I want to mention, by the way, very important, um, uh, uh, Kaplan's daughters. He had four daughters, and the oldest was Judith Kaplan Eisenstein, and she is the first bat mitzvah, which occurred in 1922. Um, and uh, um, so he is justly famous uh, for that um, uh, event, and uh, he supported um, the the uh, equality of women. And he was, as a matter of fact, more advanced than the congregation because they did not want 
want to allow women to go up to the Torah after they were bar mitzvah. And it, it took until the 1940s that a young woman who was bar mitzvah would then go up to the Torah on a regular basis. And Kaplan supported that idea from the very beginning, but his congregation didn't. And in this case, he uh, followed his congregation, although he was very uh, sort of uh, independent. Well, Mel, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. The book is The Radical American Judaism of Mordecai M. Kaplan, published in 2013 and then in paperback in 2015 by Indiana University Press. The author is Mel yeah. The author is Mel Skult. Sorry, Mel, we have to go. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Okay. Thank you.